everyone. Welcome to Ups and Downs, a podcast where we discuss all things mental health. My name is Corey. And I'm Ashley. And our goal with Ups and Downs is to share the stories of everyone's struggles with mental health while celebrating their triumphs in learning more about themselves and how they fit into the world. Consider this a safe space where you can tell your story if you'd like and connect with the stories of others. No matter what you're going through, remember that you are not alone in this journey. This episode contains mentions of familial death, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. If you find these topics triggering to you, please don't feel like you have to stay and listen. Remember, your mental well-being is important. So our guest speaker for today is Chris. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Do you want (laughs) to, do you kind of want to give yourself a little introduction before we start? Yeah, I can. I'm Chris. I'm 43. Um, mother of two, married, typical, normal, <laughs> living, I guess. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Right? I mean, there's not a whole lot. I mean, normal, average home life. <laughs> gotcha. sort, of, sort of. Okay. So we always started off with, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Um, I am the daughter of two immigrants, came from Cuba. I'm the youngest of four Um, and me and my older brother were born here in the United States. My other two brothers were born in Cuba. My mother fled from Cuba after her daughter that she had in between my two brothers passed away Mm -hmm. from a fever and they didn't have Tylenol for her. Mm -hmm. So she died and my mother knew that Cuba was not a place to raise any more kids. So her and my father came here and raised them two and then us two. Um, and typical, again, typical life, went to school. Uh, I was married at 19, had my first son, have my daughter. My daughter's on the spectrum. So I live in a little world of raising a child on the autism spectrum. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay that's fine. Yeah. So it sounds like childhood. You know, just typical, typical very growing up. Very supportive, yeah. I had a very supportive childhood. I had very supportive parents, um, very supportive brothers. My oldest brother was 20 years older than me, so him and his wife were more like my second parents than mm-hmm. they were siblings. Yeah. Uh, they would vacation. They would take me along. Uh, I went to their honeymoon. I grew up pretty much the second daughter. And then when he had children of his own, we kind of all grew up in an environment where we're, again, the supportive was number one. And we grew up all of us close together. We lived a mile to two miles away from each other and always got together. So I had a very, very supportive childhood. That's wonderful to hear. That's really, really, it's such a change to hear somebody (laughs) say that. A lot of the times you hear people Mm -hmm. go, no, such and such said something and and family just isn't always there sometimes but no I have my parents were married uh almost 70 years before they passed away so they were they were both it was my father was a bus driver in Cuba my mother would get on the bus and he looked at her and she was 15 and he said he was going to marry her one day and yeah it was a very and very very they she was married at 17 to him and she's never both of them have never not been together they yeah. grew yeah. old together married always so I've, I've I had a very solid foundation mm-hmm. at home yeah 
So I guess just thinking back on everything, is there any moment where I guess when shit hit the fan and, and you kind of realized I was not okay? Um, I mean, you go through your teenage period where things are not settled like everybody else. You don't see yourself. And for me, I didn't see myself as the same as everybody else. I went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, there wasn't bullying so much, but there was a lot of I don't fit in. Yeah. There's something not right with how I feel to towards how these people felt. There was a disconnect. Yeah. And then the last two years I went to a normal high school, there was still that disconnect that I never really found camaraderie, mm-hmm. I guess, with kids in high school. I was never I wasn't a talkative person. I didn't have a lot of high school friends. I was very selective and it was I know that that not looking at it now, it's not 100% what typical atypical normal. Yeah. You know. So I mean What will be the general norm of quote unquote society yes, at the time? Yes. I didn't fit society standards. I was a my mother would t- would say I was a rebel with absolutely no cause. Mm-hmm. Cuz there was no reason for me to be the way that I was and I went through that teenage goth stage where I would wear all black and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um that was later. I lost my brother, my oldest brother passed away in 2010. So he he passed away from colon cancer. Um, and he was the brother that was almost like a father to me. Yeah. So yeah, he was, he would pick me up, all my brothers, I would call them, I would be at parties, you know, high school parties, what did we yeah. do, go to someone's house, <laughs> get illegal booze and be like, oh, we're doing that. <laughs> I mean, you're, you were 16, 17. I was, you know, a child of the 90s. And um, I would call them because I wouldn't get in the car with someone that was drinking or doing drugs. Yeah. I would always call my brothers, didn't matter what day of the, or time. And I would be like, you know, um, come pick me up, come get me, come take. And they would, no questions asked. It didn't matter which one I would call. Someone would come pick me up. Depending on which one would pick me up, who would yell at me? Yeah. My youngest brother, who's six years older than me, would pick me up and he would kind of chastise me, but not as bad as my oldest brother, yeah. the one that passed away. If he picked me up, I was getting in trouble. He would really, really get on me. So that's a little bit of that. <laughs> How did that affect you in general? I mean, I, I can't imagine that it's easy at all to lose any sibling, let alone one that, that you're close to, that you view um, as a father. It was hard. It was a, I lost him in 2010. He was diagnosed with colon cancer in, um, it was in the summer and by, by December ish. And I remember January on new year's day, he had his arms around me and he's like, we did this, we beat it. Cause he went into remission. Yeah. And it was that moment of, he did this, he, he got through and then it, got worse in February. He died in May. He actually died on my wedding anniversary. So we have this family curse on May 17th because a lot of um, things have happened on May 17th. I got married May 17th. He died on May 17th. So there's this like dark cloud that hangs over it. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of grief from all of us. And when he first passed, I went into panic mode but I didn't cry 
because I had to take care of my parents. So it was immediately checking my parents because both were diabetic, giving them insulin, making sure my mother had some water, trying to get them calm. It took about three hours for it to hit me and actually deal with that I lost him, you know? So it was, and I had to deal helping my nieces, helping, you know, it, it was it was a tough situation. And that's where I think a lot of my mental health started getting a little worse. Yeah, because grief, especially like within the family, mm-hmm. and especially with all the stress that came after, I, I, I can't even imagine for your parents, like parents are supposed to outlive their kids. And they lost two. Yeah. This is number two for them. And for us, I, I always prepared to lose my parents. I never prepared to lose a sibling. Yeah. It never crossed my mind. And and I have I have amazing sister-in-laws. Yeah. I was very blessed with having three sister-in-laws that are amazing, but they're not my sisters. Yeah, you, know? you didn't so, you didn't grow up with them. No. And so my brothers, all of them, and to this day, I will talk to them about my period. Mm. I will talk to them <laughs> about more personal stuff. Um, I had surgery a couple of years prior and Two of my brothers came over and they're like, what can I do for you? And I said, I just want to shower and I want to wash my hair. One held me in the shower and the other washed me. Yeah. And I'm like, I, there wasn't that, you know what I mean? It was the, we were very close yeah. and it was like. That's just the sibling love that nothing yeah. can ever really just no. replace. Yeah. And you don't prepare to lose a sibling. You prepare to lose your parents. It's the way of life. You know, this is going to happen. You know, you're not going to lose a brother or a sister in the way that I did. That was a very, it was so tragic and it was shocking. Um, The grief was not, it it, it took time. And once it settled, it was gut-wrenching. I I gave up a lot. So, I mean, my, my, my family was grieving and then I kind of was doing it on my own. I isolated myself a lot. I took a step back from my spiritual life. I took a step back from my family, from friends. I was very isolated because one of the things that I realized with grief and I going through grief counseling helped a lot mm-hmm. because everybody says they're there for you when someone passes, but yeah. they really aren't. But it's and not nobody their knows fault. how to know yeah. to help somebody go, going it, through. No, grief. Yeah. no at all. And the thing is, is that they'll be there for you for the first seven days, maybe even 10. But they have a life they have to get to, too. And it's not I can't blame them for having to have their lives. They have to go back to work. They have their own lives. They might have children. They might have they have all this that they have to do. So in a way, I'm stuck in this time warp going through this loop over and over. And I'm watching everybody else kind of fade away, (laughs) you know, like the world's moving on without you. I completely understand that feeling, too, because when I lost my grandmother, it, I, I remember just getting angry at people mm-hmm. because everybody was like, oh, let's go to a party. Oh, and I was just like, don't you guys understand that this is not what you do? And and it's not that they were in the wrong. It's just that you're kind of stuck in your own little mentality of this is how I'm feeling right now. And all you want is for everybody else to listen. One of the things that um, we did, we all did grief counseling. And one of the most amazing things my grief counselor said that it was okay. And I kind of, it hit me and I'm going, and I did, I did process it a certain way because you hear it's going to be okay. Time will heal. Those very common terms. No. None of that is true. Mm-hmm. What is true is you learn to live a life without this person. Yeah. But time doesn't heal it. I still hurt. I still, 
I can still think of him and cry. I can still see something and cry. I could still, uh, May 17th is still a gut-wrenching, horrible day. I can't even like, I don't sit there and go, what's my wedding anniversary? We're going to celebrate. Yeah. Celebrate what, (laughs) you know? So it's like all of that is gone, but I learned to live a new life without him. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to do. And still honoring him in your own way. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yep. I love that. Yeah, that was amazing advice because honestly, you hear so many people tell you, at, especially at the funeral, that it'll get better, time will heal it, it won't hurt as much. And it's like, no, you're lying. Yeah, <laughs> It still hurts. 10 years later, even hurts more. You know, yeah. it's like, don't tell me that. Yeah. You never forget. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think it's something you ever forget or, or fully move on from. It's just, well, now how can I keep on living? Yeah, yeah I completely yeah. agree. So you did mention around, like around that, that's when your mental health, I guess, started taking that change. So yeah. what, what kind of changed after all that? Um, before that, I mean, I got, I got therapy sometimes, mm-hmm. um, from teenage as growing up. Um, I know there was a time that me and my husband did, um, group therapy or, or marriage counseling. So, I mean, we did do it, but I didn't put any effort into it I guess mm-hmm. I would go in with that mental thing of you're not going to tell me what I'm what's wrong with me you don't <laughs> know what's wrong with me you know and I did have that wall up where I didn't and after my brother died I realized when I started going through um, the group therapies and then actually seeking out my own it's realizing that it's okay to let that wall down and actually be vulnerable with your therapist and be open and honest with your feelings. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's a huge thing that I changed because it was before that it was like you go into a psychiatrist and a psychologist's office and you're like, meh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eh, eh, whatever. You know, you're just writing in your note and you're just going to give me some meds, leave me alone. <laughs> like that's honestly a lot. I, I always thought that. I was like, they don't really care. I'm just a patient on a chart. It don't matter. They don't, they don't think about me when I walk out that door. So I always had that like wall up. Yeah. Well, I like to think like the mentality for a psychologist when you mentioned that is like the way that like doctors in like a hospital have to treat patients because, you, you know, it, like if somebody dies, un, you know, under them, it's yeah. like you, you can't have that emotional connection because it, it, it will kill you. I imagine like with psychologists, very similar, like you can't carry the weight of your clients right. on your shoulders all the time. So you need right. to have you have that. But you have that level of caring, but it's like you have to have that disconnect with that person mm-hmm. also because it's at the end of the day, it's like it's going to hurt you if you Absolutely. hold on to that, to that, what they're feeling. And that's not something that I think now. It was something, sure, a younger me yeah. was mm-hmm. very about that. Like I would go in with such a negative headspace and it wasn't, it was my fault, but I still had that negative headspace that there's nothing that they don't care about me. And my, I can be very emotional that I want the person to actually care. Yeah. I, I get invested in certain things like I'm very good friends with my tattoo artist, like mm-hmm. I'm very good friends with my nail lady. I'm very I develop bonding relationships with people. I don't just I'm just a client to that person. Does right. that make sense? So yeah. it was like in therapy too, I was like But I mean all therapists are different too and, yes. and it, it takes a little while sometimes before you find the person that you click with. Right. You know, that exactly. Just like any other doctor. So yeah. you are a hundred percent correct in that <laughs> sometimes they suck and sometimes eventually you find the right one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I know that grief is something that you've dealt with a lot. I don't know if you want to get into that, if oh, you no, want to no, talk about that. 
I can. So my brother passed away in 2010. And then in 2019, my father had um, dementia and he fell and fractured his hip and he had to have surgery. He went into a rehab facility, which the rehab facility was wonderful. People I know have this bad reputation with rehab facilities and bad experiences. We did not have that. He had, with the dementia, he forgot. He went to get up out of the bed with a bad hip. He fell and he had a heart attack. Mm. So it wasn't anybody's fault. It was, he honestly didn't remember. I lost him in November of 2019. My mother did not tell us that she, her cancer, she was battling breast cancer and it went, she went into remission. Well, it came back and mastocized in September. She didn't tell us anything. Uh, she, on my birthday, December 1st, she started not feeling well. She couldn't breathe. She couldn't breathe. She wasn't breathing well. My brother takes her to the hospital, go over there. And we find out that she's not feeling well. She's just complaining. They did an MRI, her breast cancer mastocized, and it was all in her spinal cord. Oh my gosh. When we told her, she looked at all of us and said, well, I'm done. I don't want to live. I want to be with my husband. You guys are fine. And I don't want this. And she died 29 days later. So I lost my parents back to back. I was grieving my father and then my mother passed away. So yeah. I just can't even, especially like her saying that, that she was just ready to go after, after all that, like losing her husband and finding out that she's basically, she's not going to have long to live. She didn't want to fight it. She didn't want chemo. She didn't want any. And we tried to talk to her and give her, we respect whatever decision she wanted. Yeah. Her decision was she didn't want to live. She had broken heart syndrome. Losing Uh, my father was, yeah, there was no, if he was still alive, she might've fought. Yeah. But I think that was his death. She had enough. Yeah. How would you compare, um, dealing with the grief of your brother versus your parents with my parents passing I had to see a therapist and I was diagnosed with PTSD um as with my brother I was just depressed Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and with my parents I developed PTSD and anxiety from it a lot of it comes from having to be my parents caregivers I wasn't my brother's caregiver Mm -hmm. my brother was very self-sufficient we helped where we could when he was sick, took him to chemo when we had to. But other than that, he lived as comfortable as he could. My parents, I was prior to 2019 and them passing, I want to say 2017, 2018, I spent every other month in the hospital with one of them. Mm-hmm. And both of them, and I know in the beginning of the story, I said they're native Cuban. They never spoke English. They never learned the language. They never learned any of the English terms. One of us always had to be at the hospital with them. Right. So I wore myself down. Yeah. I was, because I am here, full-time job, taking care of my parents, raising my daughter who's autistic, taking her to therapy, taking her. It was a lot. And it was a lot of pressure on, especially me and my brothers. We were shifting, but it was only so much the three of us can do. And we were burning ourselves exhausted. So I think the PTSD was almost that guilt too of, I don't have that rat race happening anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, 
in a sense, you get used to being busy and you get used mm-hmm. to this routine that you set up. So, I mean, it's it's completely understandable that that you mentioned the rat race once yeah. they passed. And I completely understand that. Yeah. yeah. And especially like coming from like these are your parents. So naturally you and your your siblings are just like you were willing to do whatever it took to, you know, make do whatever for your parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, you do you do everything you can. To the best of your ability. Yeah, but there's only so much that you can do. Exactly, exactly. And it was, it really was exhausting. It really, you know, and sometimes I would have them at two different hospitals. Oh, God. And sometimes one would be one place, one would be at home. I had to get a, a, we had to find a facility to have somebody come and help clean the house, help stay with them during the day, because then we had one over here at a center. We had, it was a lot. It was a lot. So I think... Dealing with both the parents versus my brother, the two mental health was in two different places. Yeah. You know, my brother, again, it's that sibling. He was one of my best friends. My parents, it was this, I was their caregiver for so long that it was like, you know, what do you do at this point? You know, but I think with grief, it's still the same. Like I, I still, I used to talk to my mom every day. It was a religious phone call that I would get in my car on the way home from work, call my mother, and I would talk to her while I was on the highway all the way home about nothing, everything and nothing, just stupid stuff. But I don't have that anymore. And it's like, I don't have that phone call. And when I would call, my father would answer. And sometimes he knew who it was. Sometimes he would hang up on me because dementia. Sometimes I was a nurse. Sometimes I was his sister. Sometimes I was a stranger, you know, depending on who I was talking. So if he answered the phone, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Be on the phone with a a few minutes being like, okay, well, can I talk to your wife? (laughs) You know, so. So you mentioned um, that you did seek help and you did Mm -hmm. get treated. Um, What kind of took you to take that route? I already had experienced the depression with my brother I didn't want to get into that pit of dark I guess not dark I don't know what the word is but with my brother it was so isolating yeah I was starting to feel that again and I didn't want to do it this time so I you wanted... took the steps yeah. yourself you, 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 yes you okay. want to prevent how how you reacted to your brother's death in a, right. a similar way you you wanted to find different avenues on how to deal right. with it because my brother's death really took me into that the stages of grief was almost amplified times 100 yeah. yeah so and i sat in anger for a very long time i sat in anger for almost a year so it's like it, it i didn't want that with them so they were they passed away december was mm-hmm. when I went to this, I went to the therapist and I went and was diagnosed with PTSD and, and anxiety and put on a medication on an antidepressant. And I've been taking it since because I actually, with the pandemic, he had to up my medication yes. because it, I, I was getting worse yeah. during the pandemic because we went on lockdown March, was it? Mm-hmm. March. And then I'm dealing with grief and alone. That's actually a great a great topic that you just touched. Yeah. I mean, you've been through grief twice. Mm-hmm. How has the pandemic on top of everything hard been? <laughs> hard. Oh, yeah. In the beginning, very, very hard because to where I was always trying to find ways to stay busy to not think about it. The pandemic forced me to think about it yeah. a lot. So I had to sit in my own head and really think about everything that I processed, everything I went through, 
But at the same time, I'm watching the pandemic and I'm almost thankful that I don't have to deal with all of this if they were alive in a way, mm-hmm. because yeah. there was, I'm, I'm, I was caregiver. I had to take them to the doctors. They don't speak English. Yeah. So imagine I would take them to the doctors and I can't go in there with them because of the pandemic. Yeah. And if they end up in the hospital, I can't go in there with them. Yeah. I can't. So there's that relief almost that yeah. they're not dealing with this. Yeah. Because this would have been worse. That would have been yeah, stressful there for was, them. There was a period I had to had to sit in my own head and that was hard because it was I thank God for the virtual therapies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did a lot of talk space. That is my company offered free talk space. Mm-hmm. I did that phone was on speed dial. <laughs> Called <laughs> it often and it was a lot of help to process it. Yeah, reaching out whenever we need help and, and mm-hmm. having somebody there to be able to talk to you mm-hmm. through whatever you're feeling is, is such an immense help. It really, really is. Yep. You mentioned that you got a diagnosis for PTSD, whereas before it was more depression-like. Mm-hmm. How would you say that one compares to the other, just having experience with the both of them? So the depression was more of letting those thoughts fester in my head and almost holding it in. I didn't realize there was a difference. When he diagnosed me with PTSD, I was like, you're crazy, I'm depressed. And he's Mm -hmm. like, no, you don't have a depressive bone in your body. You're not depressed. You have this issue. Um, I had to understand and realize the PTSD and anxiety came hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I never realized I had so much anxiety because I never had it. Other than I didn't like being alone. I didn't like going to stores by myself. I had that kind of anxiety a little bit. Other than that, I didn't have this immense anxiety that I do now that, you know, I'll go out if it's really crowded. I don't like it. If I hear that someone is sick, whether it's a cold, whether it's surgery, whether it might even be COVID, I'm having a panic attack because I can't handle the thought of losing someone else. It's too much. I can't do it. And, And the PTSD is just such a... It comes in a very different wave. It's mm-hmm. very, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like in a bad headspace. And I'm like, where did this come from? I was fine an hour ago. How yeah. did I get here? Yeah, so. There is a very interesting stigma because I got diagnosed with PTSD. Oh, oh, that was some time back. And there's a there's an interesting stigma like that PTSD is reserved for people who have been in war, who have been on the front lines, like firefighters, people who put themselves in life-threatening situations all the time, but it doesn't have to be limited no. to that. So things from just your your childhood, which was for, for me, like a lot of dangerous situations in my childhood led up to where, to essentially an explosion and mm-hmm. and it can, can just come from that. I have um, a lot of, it's not even trauma, it's the anxiety. My mother did not leave me alone. Mm-hmm. She did not believe in leaving me in a house by myself. I went everywhere with her. At 18, I moved out with my husband. There wasn't a period of time that I was alone. My mother lost a daughter, so when she had another daughter, it was like a overprotective barrier. Yeah. The whole, I'm, I'm Latin, we believed in chaperones. Mm-hmm. I didn't go <laughs> on dates with just me and that date. There was always one of my brothers, my sister-in-law, you know, there was always a chaperone. That was very traditional. So I think the not, I don't think a therapist 
help me with that thought. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I didn't think it. I was like, huh, okay. But the idea of that never being alone has caused me to have anxiety now being alone. Mm. I don't like going to places by myself. I can't tell me to sit at a restaurant or a movie by myself. You've got to be joking. I can't even get out of the car. Like, yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah, you, and you always had somebody looking out for you. Always. Always. And then when you're by yourself, it's it feels like you don't have anyone looking out for you. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of that anxiety has come from that. And it's not trauma. It's just, I was raised a certain way. And yeah. then it's like, what do we do now? You yeah. know, to where my friends would stay home alone. I'd be like, Oh, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I didn't even go to sleepovers, mm -hmm. sleepover whose house. Everybody was going to rape me. You know, my mom had that mentality. Right? Somebody's oh, yeah. going to do something to you. Yeah. You can't do that. What if the father is going to do something? My mother always <laughs> had that like crazy. Someone's going to steal me. I couldn't even go outside. No, you can't go outside and play. Someone's going to steal you, you know? <laughs> so you, you've gone through therapy. You've, yes. you've seen a psychiatrist. Yes. You've been on medication. Yes. What kind of lessons have you learned about yourself throughout this whole forgiveness. process? Forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of it is that I feel guilty that I'm okay with them passing because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I have to forgive myself. It's okay that they're not here during this time. I would love them here, yes, but not in the circumstances they were in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's okay. My brother towards the end of his battle was in a lot of pain. I, I can't, it's not a, I've seen it firsthand and I'm like, why would you, you don't even put a, an animal through that. You yeah. wouldn't put a human through it. You know, he was in so much, so much pain and it was the only thing that was keeping him calm was the morphine. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that point, I have to live with forgiveness that it's okay that he had to let go of that pain. It's yeah. okay. Um, and it's more forgiveness than the spiritual. Because I know some people, when they have people that pass, they tend to go on a religious route. I didn't go that route. I didn't use that. It was kind of a self-exploration. Correct. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went through that. That therapy and meds helped me. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of just internal, in-your-head yeah. conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. I guess for any of our listeners listening in, what what piece of advice would you give them if, if anybody's kind of dealing with something similar? Don't try to do it alone. Mm -hmm. That's a huge, if you can't, it's okay even if you have family and friends that have moved on that are, you know, going through their day-to-day -day life. It is okay to call them and say, I need some sort of support. Mm -hmm. I need a hug. I need connection. I need stability. Um, I think that that is a huge stigma we put on ourselves that mm. it's okay or not okay to burden our problems with other people. I agree. And I really think it's okay to, I mean, me and my brothers have this thing, we'll call each other and hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing? And my brother will sit there and be quiet for a minute. And he'll be like, nothing. I just wanted to hear your voice. Mm -hmm. It's just that moment of that's our code word of I'm not okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not a, we may not say I'm not okay, but that, that word, I just want to hear your voice. Okay. There's, there's something we need from each other and we rely on each other. It's okay to rely on family and friends and be like, I am not 
I'm not as put together as I think I am. (laughs) I'm over here shouting help, you know. I think that anybody who's listening, that's that's the best advice I can give when you lose someone, when you go through grief. Um, And it doesn't even have to be just grief of death. Grief of many can come in various ways, whether it's a loss of a friendship, whether it's loss of a family, maybe a divorce. Um, maybe if you have family members that are divorced, you know, you go through the grief of, well, I can't really be close to that in-law because I'm loyal to this person, you know, and it's okay to rely on people to talk about it. I love that you brought up grief as not just being related to death because it's so true. Um, I think a lot of the feelings that come from the traditional like death grief is the fact that you lost someone and that applies to any situation and you can grieve just as hard for somebody still living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You you have to forgive yourself and process and that person is still walking around and you have to deal with the fact that they don't exist in your world, you don't exist in theirs. Yeah. That existence is now null and void and you still go through the stages of grief. I mean, I anybody who has lost someone, you get this little book I've gotten it three times. So anybody that has had somebody that passes, you get this little book and and it says the five stages of grief. The book is very Christian based. So if you're not Christian, you might want to just toss it, but don't actually read it because it does help you understand what your emotions are going through at the moment. Because there, it it does help. It processes it. The five stages. It's crazy. it breaks down what you're feeling into yeah. a more mm-hmm. explainable, manageable way that yes. you understand. Exactly. Yeah. Scratch out the Christianity parts if you want. Yeah. But like, <laughs> that's work, what I work, work around that. Exactly. Because when I first got the book, when my brother passed, I looked at it and I'm not Christian, and I was like, "What the hell is this? You know, <laughs> what is this?" But when I got it again, when my mom. Or when my when my father passed and I I was sitting there sitting because and that's something else I don't mean to go back I'm sorry but no, I just I remembered um one of the things I had to deal with with my my father is he passed away at one o'clock in the morning I had to go over there but because I'm the main I was on his power of attorney to make all medical decisions I was the only one allowed in the back I had to identify the body. I had a police sitting there with me because since it happened at a rehab facility, the police have to verify that there was no foul play. There was no, I had to do all of this and I couldn't break down. And then I had to call my brothers, wake them up. I couldn't tell them what was going on. I have a brother that's epileptic. The last thing I wanted was for him to have a seizure on the way. So all I could tell him is please come. And he's like, what's wrong? Something's wrong. And I'm like, no, and I'm trying not to cry. Yeah. I'm trying to like, and my other brother, I'm like, hurry up. And he's like, man, I just woke up. No, what do you do? And I'm like, no, 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 get in the car <laughs> and come, you know? So I had to do all the paperwork stuff mm-hmm. while composed, while being composed. Yeah. yeah. And I I mean, Corey, we've, we've mentioned this before in other episodes that holding in all of these emotions are so bad. Oh, yeah, and... 100%. Mm-hmm. And it really, really sucks when you're in this moment of all I want to do is break down, but I have to hold it together and be strong for somebody else. I had my, it happened to me with all three incidents. Um, When my brother died, I had to take care of my parents. When my father died, I had to go through the, imagine walking into a rehab facility, walking into that facility 
the guy in the front didn't even let me sign in. He just said, I'm so sorry. And that at that point, I was like, okay, I know this is not going to be good. The cop asked me for my identification. He then is verifying that I matched the paperwork. All this time, I can't even go back there. So yes. it's like it's all that this idea, legal stuff. Yeah, yeah, and the idea of what the media and movie tells you, like you can run back there. And I didn't have that. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, what is happening? And then I had to go with the police officer and say, yes, that that person laying there is my dad. Still couldn't cry. Then I had to call my brother. So it's like there was all these things that I had to do. And then when my mother passed away, I was an hour away. So I had to compose. I was doing a holiday show. I had to compose myself to not lose it go to my car, get in and drive an hour and try really hard not to break down before I get there. So there's there's these moments that you don't really talk about with losing and grieving that, I mean, that triggers PTSD, anxiety, depression, you know, because yeah. those little moments you're like, I'm, I'm, you're in the moment, you're trying to do all of this mm-hmm. and you don't think about how it's playing in your head. Yeah. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming welcome. on and Thank telling you for your having story. <laughs> and if anyone out there has any specific questions for Chris that they would like to ask, uh, feel free to send them in and we will, uh, we will pass them along, maybe do something with that later. Thank you for listening. And if you're interested in telling your story and helping us fight the stigma, reach out to us at upsanddownspodcasts at gmail.com. That's ups and downs podcast without the vowels at gmail.com. And remember, even though we all have our ups and downs, it will be okay.